This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec, the place to stay updated and educated. Tech Guide, episode 372. Hello and welcome to the show. Thanks for listening once again. My name is Stephen Fennec. I'm the editor of techguide.com.au. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen to our show. And we'd love it if you would leave a five-star review for others to find the Tech Guide podcast. So wherever you listen to your podcasts, leave us that five-star review, and I will even read a couple out on next week's show. But on this week's show, we've just got back from the Tokyo Motor Show, and we're going to talk about the Lexus and Toyota announcements. Tesla solar roof turns your entire roof into a solar panel, and complaints to telcos have actually dropped. In the Tech Guide reviews, we're going to take a look at the Google Pixel 4 smartphone, We're going to dive into Call of Duty Modern Warfare, and we'll also talk about the latest Star Wars trailer, and we'll wrap things up with the Tech Guide help desk. And it's all brought to you by Netgear, the company that keeps you connected, and Norton, the company that keeps you protected. Well, as we mentioned, we've only just returned from the Tokyo Motor Show. We went over there as a guest of Toyota, and we're going to talk about what we saw over there, the announcements from Lexus, the announcements from Toyota. Let's kick off with Lexus. Now, Lexus obviously is a, a, a one of the companies associated with Toyota. They are their prestige brand, their, their premium brand, and they unveiled the LF30 concept car. Now, this is a like a look into the future. Here's a car that probably won't have all its capabilities for probably another 10 years. That's how advanced this concept car is. That that was uh, uh, the theme of the show that I found, uh, my first visit to the Tokyo Motor Show, actually. And obviously, cars, the, the main subject for a lot of car companies is the electrification of their, of their vehicles and how they're going from uh, combustion engine to electric. And that was no different with Lexus and Toyota. In this instance, the LF30 is a total totally electric car, so full EV. It's also naturally an autonomous vehicle and has this amazing space-age shape, just the, the, the flow of the panels and the windows that start from the front and go all the way to the back. You can even, in this concept model, control the opacity of the windows. That's, that means how much, how far you can look into and look out of the window, so the, the clearness of the windows, if you like. So it's like adjustable window tinting. That's a great invention. So... This is a car designed to deliver on all fronts. So if you want to drive it, of course, they've got the the steering wheel and the the dashboard is set out in front of the driver so that it can be controlled with gestures and augmented reality. The uh, the steering wheel, Lexus is saying, is gives a, it's like a steer by wire uh, setup as they described it, and they 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 likened it to the reins on a horse so you know anyone who's ridden a horse when you've got the reins you sort of got a feel for for the horse and sort of where it's going to go and how you're in control by pulling one of the reins that's the kind of feel that Lexus want to offer the driver of the LF30 as well now we mentioned that 
the there is an option here for the car to drive autonomously. Naturally, that's another major theme of all the car companies too moving forward. We'll talk a bit more about that with Toyota as well. But in this instance, the LF30, when you choose the autonomous mode, the colour of the front of the car changes so that others can see uh, whether the car is being operated by the driver or whether it's in autonomous mode. So that's an indication to pedestrians, for example. They know, okay, well, someone, this guy's driving or no, it's, uh, the car's driving. So that's that's one indicator there. And when you do choose the autonomous mode in this vehicle, the steering wheel actually retracts out of your way. So you've got more room to relax uh, in the car. But it's it's not only just for the driver it's also uh, been designed to make it comfortable for the passengers as well. Uh, the seats even have a kind of muscle technology on board so that you can set, you can it moulds to the occupant so it, it'll support them in various modes. Say that you're a passenger and you want to you relax, so you hit relaxation mode or, or you might want to stay alert and, and you hit that mode and it'll, it'll mould itself to your body so that it'll keep you in that chosen mode. Uh, same goes for the driver, I guess, too. When it's in autonomous mode, if you want to relax, then you just choose that that mode on the seat, and away you go. There's also a Mark Levinson audio system for this sort of a concept vehicle. Of course, the audio has got to sound fantastic. The acoustics uh, have actually been tuned in the car. There's noise cancellation technology on board as well. The glass roof can also act like an information display. So the occupants, especially those in the back seat, can use AR to view various types of content during the journey. So if you've got some rear passengers, they're not going to be asking, are we there yet? They're going to be looking at different content, videos, also checking out the navigation. The onboard AI naturally is going to be smart enough so it can distinguish between different drivers and passengers through voice recognition and adjust the seating and climate controls accordingly. So this is this car is going to get to know each and every driver and passenger in the car. And, of course, the, the LF30 can also understand a driver's preferences, too, for different routes and, and even su- suggest places to go once you jump in. You might say, Lexus, take me somewhere, and it will suggest somewhere for you to go. Now, the, it is using the latest autonomous technology developed by Lexus the, uh, and Toyota called Teammate. Uh, this also has a chauffeur mode and a guardian mode, so LF30, once you arrive at your destination, can go off and park itself. And when you're ready to go, it'll pick you up from the front door. So uh, like like the chauffeur, it'll take you where you need to be. Now, Lexus are, in the, are going to be releasing an electric vehicle, actually. They're going to announce it within the next month. So this is their first fully electric car, and I think it's based on an existing model. So they're going to electrify an existing model. But then they're going to also, in 2020, announced uh, their first dedicated design from the ground up electric vehicle. Uh, and, and over the years, Lexus are going to release various configurations of electric vehicles, uh, including pure EV, so that's battery, all, all battery, plug-in hybrid EV, hybrid, and also fuel cell electric vehicles. So these are the cars that have a hydrogen tank. And the hydrogen then is converted to energy to charge the onboard battery, which will then in turn drive the motor. Uh, and the only the only byproduct of a hydrogen-powered car, fuel cell car, is water. 
So there's no carbon uh, emissions either in that situation. And, of course, there aren't any for the fully electric version as well. The Lexus LF30, quite a sight to see. But let's change gears, pardon the pun, to Toyota. And Toyota's stand at the Tokyo Motor Show was a little unusual by even their own admission. You'd expect when you go to a motor show that the stand is covered in all their new cars. Well, there wasn't a single car on the stand in the uh, on the Tokyo the Toyota stand of the Tokyo Motor Show. Not one single car. Why is that? I hear you ask. Well, because the con the focus for Toyota moving forward is all about mobility, mobility for everyone. And their focus, of course, is on autonomous vehicles, electric vehicles, and they demonstrated that with a new vehicle that's called the e-Pallet. Now, you've got to remember, Toyota, one of the major sponsors of next year's Toyota, Toyota, Toyota is the company, next year's Tokyo Olympics. So the 2020 Olympics in Tokyo, Toyota is a major sponsor. These e-Pallet vehicles, autonomous, no driver, are going to be used to transport athletes and support staff from the village to their venue. So it's, it's even going to be used during the Paralympics as well because there are various ramps and other, other uh, features on, the, on board the vehicle that can accommodate wheelchair passengers, able-bodied passengers. So it's going to be a great example for the world to see how these vehicles can be used. Now, Toyota are also talking about the e-pallet being a, 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 a solution to get people from A to B. Now, in the morning, it might be a school bus. Uh, Mid-morning, it might be a, a way to transport uh, elderly to elderly patients to their appointments. Uh, middle of the day, could be used like a mobile office. So someone like a, a busy uh, mobile worker might need to get from A to B but when they're on board this vehicle, there, there's a place for them to sit down and write and work or whatever they need to do, whatever they need to do for their work. So it's, a, it's an adaptable vehicle as well. Now, of course, Toyota have their other concept car, the autonomous LQ concept car. This is a BEV, they call this, a battery electric vehicle. Uh, it's going to be launched in Japan in late 2020. Now, the LQ, the concept here is with... Toyota's approach to driving, the future of driving, they believe that the car is going to be smart, it's going to be autonomous and electric, but it's also going to form a bond with the driver. They mentioned how they want the car to be a beloved car. They want the driver and the car to grow closer, for the car to get to know the driver, what they like. There was a terrific example they used about how this bond could be used uh, to, to... to cement this relationship between the car and the driver. They gave one amazing example. They said the car, well, if, you're, if the, the driver, he's driving the car or she's driving the car, and the car can detect if the driver is feeling drowsy. Now, what the car will do is know that, okay, there's a rest stop in 20 minutes, so I'm going to talk to the driver about a favourite subject of theirs. To keep them alert, the car can strike up a conversation and start talking. If it was me, it might start talking about sport or tech or Star Wars or something. It might say, how about that Star Wars trailer? How cool was that? And then the driver can respond and thereby staying alert long enough for them to reach a rest stop. And the car will then suggest, look, you're a bit tired. How about you pull in here for half an hour and revive a bit before you continue? That's just one example of... 
it knowing the driver and in this case helping helping the driver get to the rest stop without uh, without incident but but it's these things the, this this relationship between the car and the driver that, Il, that that Toyota is really focusing on and how they want this to become a reality they want the car to be your friend not just your car so that that's that's one of their goals as well. They also uh, were talking about their new Mirai car. Now this is a car that's going to be commercially available next year. This is their uh, their fuel cell electric vehicle. Really nice looking car. Look, looks a lot, lot big, bit like a BMW. It looks like big big vehicle. Uh, it is going to be obviously powered by hydrogen and have no no uh, emissions whatsoever. But again, another another example of. Toyota's uh, foresight and their view into the future. We also got a chance to take a look at their robotics division as well. Now, Toyota, you'd be surprised to know, are also developing robots, including a human service robot. So, in other words, it can help humans. So, say you're you might be an elderly person living by yourself. There'd be a robot that can help pick up things for you, carry things for you, get stuff off off high shelves and it's smart enough to know you get to know you, we saw a brief demonstration uh, of, of the, the robot and how it can respond to people and pick up things and hand things to people and, and, and things like that. So that was fascinating. They're also going to take the robotics to the Olympics. They go, they've got a field service robot that looks like a little car, so it's autonomous and electric. It's also, it also has sensors so it can follow people. So it, it will be used during the 2020 Olympics in Tokyo in the field events. So you can just imagine during the hammer, the discus and the javelin events that once the athlete has thrown the hammer or the, or the javelin or the discus, then this little vehicle will motor out to the field uh, and then f- position itself behind a person and that person will walk to where the hammer or the discus or the javelin has landed and then the car will the little robot car will follow and then the person will put that object in inside the car and the car will drive it back through a special route back to to the athlete so expect to see that during the 2020 olympics as well for all those stories we talked about the the lexus lf30 the toyota vision of mobility and the robot, the robotics that are going to be seen at the Tokyo Olympics in 2020. If you want to read all those stories, you can check them out at techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. All righty, next up we're going to be talking about Tesla, but in this instance, not about the Tesla vehicles, but their new solar roof. There was a call the other day, a Q&A call, a bit of a, uh, a web chat, if you like, where Elon Musk answered various questions and also spoke about the latest version of the Tesla solar roof. Now, this is the third version of the Tesla solar roof, and it will be coming to Australia. So how it works is that rather than a person building a roof and putting solar panels on that roof, what the Tesla solar roof is, well, the roof becomes the solar panel. So that means that each mini solar glass panel is a tile. So each tile is a solar panel. So you don't need, if you are building a house or replacing a roof, rather than getting a roof and putting panels on it, you can just replace the roof with the Tesla solar roof and be able to uh, to, to generate power through these little mini solar panels. Uh, and, and there are 
depending on the size of your roof, of course, depending on how much power you want to produce, you can vary the number of solar tiles that are included on your roof. So the Tesla actually sell two types of glass tiles, a solar tile and a non-solar tile, so that you might want, say, 80% of your roof space to be solar panels, and that way you can match the solar tile with the non-solar tile, so they both look exactly the same from street level, and you can then vary up how much power you actually need to produce. So the roof doesn't need the panels. The roof is the panel to produce that solar power. Now, you're probably saying, well, what happens in extreme weather conditions and hail and everything, and Tesla actually is offering a 25-year warranty on the solar tiles so they can deliver power and handle the weather, including large hail. To prove it, there's even a video on the website where Tesla shows uh, the the solar roof being hit by a 5-centimetre hailstone at 160 kilometres an hour. And it just shatters, uh, the, the hailstone shatters. The Tesla tile, solar tile, is fine. But put it next to a terracotta, clay, and slate tile, and each of the other tiles are smashed to pieces. So you can imagine in a hailstorm, it's already bad enough for people who've got solar panels on their roof, which are generally pretty sturdy as well. I've, I've got solar panels here. While we haven't had five-centimeter hailstones, we have had hail, and it hasn't been an issue. Now, in this instance, there's no panel to protect the roof because the panels are the roof. And in this instance, the Tesla solar roof tiles can handle it. Uh, the, the others, though, the slate tile, terracotta and clay tiles, they shattered like glass. So if that's a, an issue that you have, something reservation in the back of your mind, well, we hope we've put that to rest because Tesla backs it with a 25-year warranty. Now, of course, uh, the the costs will develop depend on the size of your roof and obviously the amount of solar roof tiles that you require. So, uh, it, look, if, if you've got an existing roof and you want to go solar, so say your roof's fine but you want to go solar, the cheapest thing to do here is to probably just get the solar panels. This is a great scenario if you're maybe building a new home or if you're replacing your roof, if you need a new roof, then you might as well get a solar roof so that you're sort of killing two birds. You've got a roof and you've also got solar panels at the same time. So that would be the best scenario. So don't, it would be probably cost prohibitive if someone has a perfectly good roof and they rip out a roof to get solar uh, by using the Tesla solar roof. Uh, if they can afford it, good luck to them. But the cheaper option in that instance would be just to get panels. And of course, these uh, the the solar roof from Tesla integrates with the Tesla power wall and any other battery I'd imagine, so you can store energy and use it whenever you want. So there's an entire solution. So you're generating solar power, but your house architecturally looks just like any other house. Uh, these the the roofs are designed to blend in. So rather than having panels that that, that uh, maybe stick out, although I've got panels on my roof and they don't look too bad. I've got I've got a black roof anyway, and the panels are black, so it's not too bad. You you, you can't really it's not ugly at all. It actually looks pretty good. But if you uh, want to maintain your architectural style to the last detail, the Tesla solar roof may be the one for you. If you want to read more about that story, check it out techguide.com.au. Now, normally when we talk about 
complaint levels to the telecommunications industry ombudsman or the Australian Communications and Media Authority, the story is normally that the complaints have increased. That yes, year on year there has been ten percent more complaints made from against telcos and all this, but this time. We've written a story on Tech Guide, and this is based on a report from the Australian, the regulator, the Australian Communications and Media Authority, ACMA for short. They've they've come up when, with a report saying that the report shows that customer complaints to telcos have actually dropped and dropped by more than twenty percent. Now. Why is this? Has customer service suddenly improved in the last six months or uh, has people's problems miraculously been solved? Well, the Australian Communications and Media Authority, ACMA, they attribute the reduction in complaints to the new compliant handling requirements. This means that large and mid-sized telcos have to send data about all the complaints they receive so so that ACMA can then collect and analyse what caused the complaints in the first place. So that really, so in other words, they've got to open up their complaint books to ACMA to see why the hell customers are complaining. Now, there's a little wrinkle here because Optus data wasn't included So in this report. So it was excluded from the report because there were concerns over the accuracy of their data. So they've been uh, ordered to obtain an external audit, and ACMA says that though in the next report, Optus will be included in future reports. So uh, when they're confident of its accuracy, so uh, Optus, you, you, you're dragging you, you're dragging us down a little bit here. Uh, ACMA says Optus will be included in the next one, which is good. But uh, in the meantime, though, it's still good news that that uh, the the complaints are down. The complaints went from 124 complaints per 10,000 services in late 2018. And then six months later, by the end of June 2019, that went from 24 complaints to 97 complaints per 10,000 services. So that's that's good news as well. The other thing that's gone down too is the time it took to resolve complaints. Uh, That's come down now to five days. Sounds a lot, but that is still shorter now than it was earlier. Uh, and, and the NBN was also included in this report and also some surprising results here as well. Um, the number of complaints about the NBN actually was also reduced from 369 complaints per 10,000 services down to 193. Now, here's a stat that surprised me and I'm sure will surprise you as well. If I was to ask you what form of NBN, so fibre to the curb, HFC, fibre to the to the node, fixed wireless, satellite, uh, fibre to the curb, all of these different ones, fibre to the node, if I was to ask you what form of NBN had the least number of complaints, have a min- have a second to think about it. Have you got your answer? Well, the answer for those playing, the least. Complaints. The form of MBN that, that attracted the least complaints were satellite services that only had 55 complaints per 10,000 services. Now, have a guess which was the most complained NBN service. Well, some, some thinking time again. Okay, have you got your answer? The most complained NBN service was fibre to the curb. That's what I've got here. That had... 475 complaints per 10,000 services. And even though it was the most complained about now, 
it too had gone down. A year ago, it was at a high of 744 complaints per 10,000 services. So just shows that the maturity of technology uh, does impact complaint numbers. Uh, very interesting right there. But ACMA, yeah, they've uh, released some interesting uh, figures too. There are 2,697,202 home phone lines in Australia. There are also, and that's actually NBN and non-NBN. Speaking of home lines, though, complaints about voice-only services on the NBN, in other words, home phones operating on the NBN now, they, they have still remained high over the last 12 months with an average of 494 complaints per 10,000 services. Now, while ACMA is kind of taking a little bow here, they, are, they have acknowledged, though, that the level of complaints are still too high. They want them to be even lower still. So that's really good news. Uh, more stats here. The, there are 21,843,713 mobile phone accounts. And there are 5,478,508 broadband connections. That's combining non-NBN and NBN connections. So there's a lot of people connected to the internet, a lot of homes connected to the internet here in Australia. Uh, they, they are the stats from the from Australian Communications and Media Authority. Great news that the complaints are down. They still, they can, there's still room to improve. They can go down even further, and hopefully they will. Uh, have, you been, have you had a complaint that hasn't been addressed? Get in touch with us at info at techguide.com.au, and we'll help you chase it up if you're having dramas. Uh, if you want to read those, uh, that story and check out all of those juicy stats, you know where to find it, techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly supported by Norton. They're the company that can protect you and your family online. Well, we live in a world where we're constantly connected and cyber attacks are more prevalent than ever. From phishing scams and ransomware to online predators and big data tracking your every move, cyber threats have evolved, which is why Norton has two. New Norton 360 gives you next-level protection. It combines the power of device security with a secure VPN to help keep you and your family safe and private online. New Norton 360 is all-in-one protection for your devices and your online privacy. Very, very important. Available now at leading retailers or au.norton.com. And now, a Tech Guide review with Stephen Fennec. Alrighty, first up in the reviews, I know we spoke about it last week, about the dramas with the face unlock with the Pixel 4, but I've actually reviewed the whole phone this time. Uh, there was an embargo, I couldn't really give you my whole review last week, but uh, I can now. So the Pixel 4 is available now, went on sale on October 24, uh, and it has, there's two two versions, the Pixel 4 is 5.7 inch, Pixel 4 XL 6.3 inches. Now, the device includes Motion Sense and Recorder, this great new audio feature, which I'll talk about a little bit later, uh, and it is a, a brand new Google version as well, so Android version, I should say, Android 10 uh, running on board here. Uh, Design-wise... Google has played it really safe here. The Pixel 4, there's no notch. Remember last year, the, the notch on the previous one was massive. Uh, rather than including a notch, what it's done, it's actually left a lot more space above the screen. So this really large bezel above the screen, I'll call it the forehead. The forehead is massive. 
So no notch, but this big space at the, at the top of the screen, which when compared to other devices, it looks kind of old. It looks like three or four years old in terms of design. Uh, no, no notch at all. So uh, it, it would have been nice to see maybe a tiny little teardrop notch or something that will uh, allow uh, to give you a little bit more screen real estate. But no, Google thought, nope, we're going to give you this big bezel at the top. Uh, and leave the screen as it is. The, the screen, speaking of the screen, it uh, it is a 90 hertz screen. Now, what what does that mean? It means it refreshes 90 times a second. So normally smartphone displays are 60 hertz, so it only refreshes 60 times a second. So the result is uh, this small, this smoother operation. So when you scroll between pages and websites, it's a little bit of a smoother scroll, less juddering, uh, and also nice when you're watching video. Although I'm tipping that not many people can notice it offhand. It's not like you're sort of jumping from 60 to 120 or 200. It is a slight increment, but uh, barely noticeable, but good to know that it's there. It, it does give you a bit of a smoother performance. Speaking of performance, it's powered by Google's custom-built Titan M security chip uh, and is also running the pixel neural core which does a really good job in again speeding things along this always on computing and machine learning makes the experience really nice for users now on the security side we did mention the fact that the face unlock has this dangerous little flaw which means that it can be unlocked even when your eyes are shut so if you're a little bit nervous leaving your phone laying around and you fall asleep there may be someone that can walk up to you hold the phone up to your face and look at all your stuff or download apps and even authorize payments. So imagine this scenario where I'm, I'm sleeping on the couch and my wife wants this really expensive pair of shoes. She can walk up to me with my Pixel and hold it in front of my face. I'm asleep, mind you, and she can go onto a website and authorize my payment using my face unlock. Even though I'm asleep, I'll wake up to this massive bill. Uh, this is a possible scenario, uh, people. So, uh, you know, you may have a, a partner who might want to look at your phone when you fall asleep. Uh, this is something you need, we need to talk about. Uh, there is, look, I've put on Tech Guide some instructions on how to get around the biometric security, so to force a passcode rather than uh, using the face unlock. That's the only biometric security on the phone. There's no fingerprint reader you can fall back on. So... That's it in terms of uh, your security. I have put a, embedded a video that we put on up on uh, Instagram of me actually unlocking the phone with my eyes closed. Uh, so there you have it. Now, the camera naturally is a massive feature of the Pixel, and the Pixel 4 hasn't let us down. It is incredible what they could achieve with one lens. Now, they've doubled up now with two lenses. So it's second telephoto lens uh, to the wide-angle lens. There's no ultra-wide-angle lens, and I've got to say, I did miss that after using all the phones I'd used before, has ultra-wide. So I kind of did miss not having that because there were some photos where I couldn't get back far enough to fit whatever I was photographing in the frame, which was a little frustrating. I had this in Tokyo, so uh, it was uh, could have done a little, could have done with a, a third lens uh, ultra-wide or maybe just making that second lens rather than a wide angle, make it an ultra-wide angle to give us a bit more scope there, but uh, maybe that's going to be the Pixel 5. Who knows? There was one feature that we quite liked, uh, and this is the live HDR. Now, there's, a, there's a feature on board here that will ap ap appeal to many users. Now, who has tried to take a photo with a, their subjects in the foreground and there's a bright light in the background? So say that it's a sunrise or a sunset or something, there's brightness in the background, your subject in the foreground normally is a silhouette. Now, what 
the Pixel 4 has done, and I'll put an example here. There's a picture of my wife and our dogs look, overlooking Maroubra Beach or uh, near close to Lurline Bay, near Marn Pool, and there's a sun, the sun was in front of her. The first photo you see, the the back of her body is pretty dark, and, and there are more extreme cases than this, but it is good to illustrate it uh, in this way anyway. Now, the second photo I took was me being able to manipulate not only the uh, the uh, brightness, but also the level of HDR. So if I just increase the brightness, everything's going to wash out. But because I could increase the HDR, the high dynamic range, I could tweak the photo in two different ways. So I still get my beautiful light from the front, but also my subject is now a little bit brighter in the foreground. So big tick there. We love that feature. Uh, the portrait shots are brilliant as well. And again, I use my dogs as my portrait subjects. Good old Ziggy and Logan, my Dalmatians. Uh, amazing how the it, it decides the background blur for you. You don't get a choice with other phone, like other phones where you can have a little slider to determine how blurry it is. And when you actually take a photo in portrait mode, it produces the portrait shot and a non-portrait shot as well. So it puts both in your gallery. So you can choose which one you use. The results are fantastic. The blur in the background was awesome. The dogs are beautifully sharp in the foreground. So portrait mode, big tick there as well. Uh, there's also, of course, the front-facing camera, which is a beautiful selfie camera. Uh, but there's also night sight, which which is they've improved it slightly. They've they've now included a night sight mode, which will allow you to do some uh, astronomy photography. So shoot the stars. You can shoot the moon, the stars. I've got an example here where how it works. It takes several photos. So if you're a fan of astrophotography, you can it takes several images and combines them into one. Now the example I've got here is looking up into the stars. I can see the moon and the stars. The top photo, and you'll see this in my review, is basically black with a couple of dots in it. The night sight photo with the that's been tricked up in the using the Pixel 4, you can now see the moon a bit more clearly and also the stars in the sky as clearly. And that's a handheld photo, by the way. That's not with a tripod. Handheld. So pretty good result. Imagine I took this outside of my house. So imagine in the in the country where there's beautiful, a lot more stars visible, uh, you'll get some incredible results there. Now, some other features on board. There is motion sense. Now, this is a feature I wouldn't write home about this one. It's it's just basically you being able to motion, sweep your hand left and right to go forward in your content, uh, your music, dismiss reminders and alarms and things like that. There is like a little radar system built around the phone so that it can sense when your hand is coming to the phone uh, so it will get it ready to unlock really quickly. And when it does unlock, it's really fast. The face unlock is really good. Uh, The little wrinkle about having your eyes shut, that's kind of might not be a deal breaker for a lot of other people, but in terms of the speed of the unlock, it is pretty cool. It is pretty fast. Uh, But in terms of the the motion sense, nothing new here. We've seen that on other devices. But here's a great new feature that will appeal to anyone who ever has to record audio and transcribe it. Now, to all the journalists that are listening, I hope there are some, how many times have you recorded an interview and then you have to go back and then listen to 10 seconds and type it out, then listen to another 10 seconds and type it out? That's called transcribing, and it's a pain in the bum. Uh, well, with the new recorder on the Pixel 4, it can not only record the audio, but transcribe what it's listening to at the same time. Now, I can hear some gasps of astonishment, and I have tested this with three different voices, and it got about, I reckon, a 95% accuracy. 
So what it does, it, it uses, obviously it's, it's used to listening to people thanks to Google Assistant, and it uses AI and machine learning to get that right. So it's had a lot of experience listening to people, so it can then transcribe it fairly accurately, good enough for you to save literally hours and hours of time. Now, the further good news about this feature is that it actually works offline. So you can it's all onboard processing that does this. So if you're not connected to the internet, not a problem. It's going to do it for you anyway. And as I said, we did a test, three different people talking. The recorder did an amazing job transcribing all of our voices in real time and surprisingly accurate as well. So if you're a student, a journalist, whatever you need to transcribe, interviews, press conferences, lectures, whatever you want to transcribe, this is the one for you. Now, battery-wise, the Pixel 4 has a fairly small battery wing compared to others, 2,800 milliamp hour. Pixel 4 XL, the larger, that's what we reviewed, has a 3,700 milliamp hour battery. Uh, and both are smart enough to learn and adapt how we use our device. So by that, I mean it, it'll even recognize the apps you use and reduce the power consumption every time you're using them which is really handy. Uh, we found for our review, battery lasted easily an entire day and into the next, uh, but, but we had to head out, so we plugged in at about 8 o'clock and got back up uh, surprisingly quickly, actually. It was a pretty fast charge you get out of this. Uh, it took probably an hour and a half, or not lost less than that. I think we went from uh, back to 100% in just over an hour, I think we were down to about 25, 27%, and it really charged up very, very quickly. Just over an hour it took. Uh, Pricing-wise, the devices are 1049 for the Pixel 4, 1279 for the Pixel 4 XL. Uh, look, I think an excellent phone. If you're, a, if you're a Pixel fan, then there'd be no reason not to update. If you're an Android user or a Samsung user, I think you're, pretty, you're better off sticking with what you what you got already, a Samsung device or you might be a Huawei user or whatever device you've got. They do seem to have a little bit more style and flair than the Pixel 4, which is pretty, uh, pretty average uh, design-wise. But functionally, it, it is excellent, just like the others. But if you want like the edge-to-edge -edge screens and curved displays, you're not going to get that with the Pixel 4. Uh, it's, gonna, it's pretty plain Jane. But if, uh, if it's not just all about looks and function, you are going to get a great result out of the Pixel 4 as well. If you want to read our complete review of the Google Pixel 4 smartphone, check it out, techguide.com.au. All right, well, we don't often review games on the Tech Guy podcast, but I'm going to make an exception for Call of Duty Modern Warfare. I'm a massive Call of Duty fan, have been for years, and it's really good to see them revive Modern Warfare. This isn't like a, a remake of an existing game. The original Modern Warfare came out in 2007 and was kind of the the game that broke it out uh, 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 for Call of Duty to become this amazing franchise. The chapters before that were good, but Modern Warfare kind of took it to an all-new level back in 2007 and delivered a fantastic story, great graphics, and just a multiplayer game that was just second to none. Now, fast forward to 2019, and Infinity Ward has re-released Modern Warfare. Well, not re-released. They've released a new game. They've just called it the same name as an older game. So it's a reboot, but... It's entirely original. There's only one character they've used from that original 2007 game that, that makes an appearance in this game. But you get a brand new story, brilliant 
online and multiplayer modes as well. Uh, and and it, it looks amazing, by the way, too. It's 4K. If you've got a 4K HDR TV and a decent soundbar or surround sound system, you'll get an incredibly great experience, both visually and audio-wise. It sounds great, uh, just like you're in the middle of a movie that you're a part of. Uh, the realism of the characters is incredible how how realistic the characters faces are you can even see the, the to the minutest detail of their face and their eyes and everything that, that that you see in the game uh it is it is remarkable now what i like about this title in particular we have had some other previous call of duty games that use a lot of gimmickry there's gimmicks and, and exoskeletons and it turns soldiers into superheroes and that that's kind of goes against kind of what call of duty is all about it's all about the soldiers getting on with their job real accurate no gimmicks that's what i love about it it's all about the gameplay the story and the characters and this delivers all three of those in spades. Now, I'm going to talk about the campaign, which I've already finished. It's about oh, a six, seven-hour campaign, depending on how, how good you play uh, and what level you choose. But it basically, it's a present, like a modern contemporary story that involves you know, issues that we're dealing with, uh, like, like terrorist attacks and, and safety. And uh, it's all about them also trying to track down these stolen chemical weapons. Story opens up with a man gets out of a van wearing a suicide vest and is just about to ignite it in the middle of Piccadilly Circus in London. Flash to another scene and there's a fictional country of Uzbekistan and it's uh, you're a member of an elite squad that's trying to recapture this stolen shipment of poisonous gas from the Russian military. So players, you, we, we switch between the roles of Alex, who's an American undercover military operative, and a British soldier named Kyle Garrick, who's a member of Captain Price's team. Remember, he was the character from 2007? Price, yes, he's uh, he's back in the game. Uh, and it, it's it's a, 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 just a heart-pounding thrill ride. There's, there's parts here that are set in the dark and things jump out and you've got to be quick with the reflexes and uh, it really literally puts you in the middle of the action. So it's a first-person shooter, of course, and there you, you there's so many different scenarios and things you need to do. So you go from battling terrorists in the middle of London and avoiding detection by, by Russian soldiers in Uzbekistan and uh, fighting your way out of an overrun US embassy. Uh, and it's there's, a, there's another great section where it's completely, you're wearing your night vision goggles, you've got to complete the mission in total darkness. You've got to move between three different buildings. You can do it in any order you like. That's how smart the game is. And all you're getting is instructions by radio from Captain Price, who's in this overwatch position. So that's a real heart stopper as well. So really exciting. It, it does deliver on that front, both story-wise, gameplay, and all of those things. But you're not always holding a gun in your hand. That's what I like about There's a bit of variety in this game. In Call of Duty Modern Warfare, there are other things that you do. You don't not, you're not shooting all the time. You have to use your brain as well. well. Not that you're not using your brain with the gun as well, but there is one really inventive scene here. There's a section where you have to guide an embassy worker to safety Who's, she's on the phone, and you're switching between security cameras to help her navigate the safest way out of the building. Really smart. It was challenging. It's like trying to solve a puzzle and trying to time it so that she doesn't get seen by the terrorists. It was uh, really exciting. Uh, there's another scene where uh, you the, there, there are two characters that are brother and sister, Farah and Hadia. Now, they're Uzbekistanians, and they've, they're obviously freedom fighters who want to free their country of this Russian tyranny. 
And there are a couple of flashback scenes, one in particular where you see through the eyes of Farrah, she's re- retrieved from under this pile of rubble after an explosion. And she's then taken through the streets and the, a Russian soldier invades their home and you, you, ha- you playing Farrah, have to hide and not be found and pick up little weapons and try to defend yourself. There's also another nerve-wracking part of the game as well. Uh, there's also a, a place, uh, a section of the game where you have to defuse a bomb in exactly the right sequence at exactly the right time. If you don't, you get blown up. So uh, that's tremendous. Also... There are various weapons at your disposal, of course, all kinds of weapons, sniper rifles, but there's also these armoured remote-controlled drones. So there's there's like bombs on, on, on aboard these drones, and you use them to towards enemy. You steer them towards enemy helicopters and detonate them next to the helicopter to uh, to save to protect yourself against the enemy and progress in the level. So look. Really entertaining game, very fast paced till the very end. And I'll say now, without this isn't giving any any away, we will see a Modern Warfare 2. So bring that on. But also, a word of warning for any parents that might be listening to this. This is an adults-only game. So it's it's quite violent. Uh, there's, there's content that would be fairly disturbing for a young player in terms of violence, but also in context. Uh, there, there are scenes here where women and children are killed, and there's things that you see in this game that could be disturbing to a teenager, so a young TJ, a teenager. So if you think, oh, little Johnny who's 12 might appreciate this game, it's not rated R18 plus for nothing. So please take uh, take note of that. It, it is it could be a, a little bit harrowing for a younger player. Uh, now let's talk about multiplayer. Here's the here's where the game excels. I think the multiplayer aspect of Call of Duty is kind of the the, the part of the game that's arguably the most popular bit of the franchise. And again, it delivers in spades. The uh, it takes the standard to a new level. Uh, it, it is the in my opinion the best online shooter you can play it's brilliant there's a lot of great maps that are there's varied a lot of detail and also various sizes of maps as well so you can go from uh, a really big map to a small intimate map sort of a lot of close contact and and various things like that so depending on your style of play there are several maps here that'll suit you and of course usual things like team deathmatch domination whatever you like to do there was there is a new mode though it's called two by two this is a multiplayer mode called gunfight and so it pits play pairs against pairs and you go for short, sharp, 40-second bursts, uh, and the first team to score six points is declared the winner. So that's pretty cool and uh, great for players who just want a quick hit of an online game rather than the longer commitment of the full-blown multiplayer mode. So all round, Modern Warfare, Modern Warfare, a brilliant new Call of Duty game. Uh, if you're into your first-person shooters or a Call of Duty fan, this is the game for you. If you want to check out our complete review, you know where to find it, techguide.com.au. Now, I, uh, I couldn't really go past uh, not talking about the new Star Wars trailer. I, I won't, won't spend too much time on it, but let's just say I've done a frame-by-frame frame look at the trailer. I won't go through that right now, but on Tech Guide, I've literally gone through every scene, every frame that's on there and explained what we're seeing, how we've interpreted it. Uh, there's a lot of things to, to learn, I think, from this trailer. A lot of people are saying that they're glad that there aren't too many spoilers. Uh, there are little details, and if you know what you're looking for, if you know what you're looking at, I uh, I sort of offer my opinion without giving it away. I have included on my story, I should add, my own little theory 
about what the story has done here. There's a few things that stood out for us that uh, that, that may point to a, 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 a story device that they may use in this film. Uh, I don't want to give it away, but if you do want to read it, it it's not going to be spoiled at the top of the story. I'll give you plenty of warning. Uh, I go through the frame by frame, and then at the very end, I say, right, now it's time for our theory. And I say, five, four, three, two, one, are you still here? So there is still plenty of time to pull out if you don't want to read my theory, which could potentially be a spoiler. Uh, I have had various reactions to it online, including uh, uh, one of my Facebook uh, my Facebook likers uh, uh, calling it a dumb theory. Okay, well, she did, uh, I said, gee, thanks. And then she did reply in the comments to say, look, sorry, that was rude, but I will be the first person back here on December 19 if your theory is actually proved correct. So nice of her to courteously reply to her initial comment. But uh, I'm going to leave it at that. I don't want to go into too much detail because this is a, a rather than um, it'll take me an hour and a half to explain what I've written on Tech Guide anyway. And you uh, you've only got a limited amount of time with me here today. But uh, feel free if you want to, if you're a fan. Uh, I, I've sort of made some pretty decent observations, if I must say so, uh, pointing out various characters and things and locations and and other little observations. And there's been a couple, few funny lines in there too. So it's not all serious. Uh, Star Wars is a lot of fun. So. I thought I'd have a bit of fun with it as well. But if you want to check out my frame-by-frame look at the final Rise of Skywalker trailer, and if you want to maybe venture to read my theory, you know where to head over to techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly supported by Netgear, Australia's number one Wi-Fi brand. You upgrade your smartphone and TV and your laptop. Well, when was the last time you upgraded your home Wi-Fi? Well, welcome to Wi-Fi 6. If you watch your streaming services, you need the newest line of high-performance routers from Netgear. It's like giving your streaming the VIP treatment. The Netgear Nighthawk 6 Wi-Fi routers give you ultra-fast speeds and wider coverage throughout your home. The devices of today and tomorrow demand more, so what you need is high-performance Wi-Fi that can keep up with you and your entire family. It's the biggest revolution in Wi-Fi ever, and you can be one of the first to have the next generation of Wi-Fi 6 technology with a Netgear Nighthawk router. Turn your Wi-Fi up to 6 with a Netgear Nighthawk Wi-Fi 6 router. Go check it out today at netgear.com slash Wi-Fi 6. That's netgear.com slash Wi-Fi and the number 6. And now, answering all your tech questions, the Tech Guide Help Desk. A couple of quick ones on the Tech Guide Help Desk. We did get a few questions. There was one interesting one that I'm going to share with you now. There's a gentleman was asking, look, why don't films on Netflix and, and Foxtel fill up the entire screen. He said there's a the big black lines top and bottom, the letterbox he called it. Um, well, there's various reasons for that. Usually films are, are shot in an aspect ratio. Uh, there are two main aspect ratios, which are 2.35 to 1, so that's your ultra-wide, and then there's 1.85 to 1, which is your not-so-wide. So the, the amount normally one point eight five to one will fill your screen that's kind of the shape of your screen but if it's 2.35 to one that's uh, that'll be little black bars top and bottom steven spielberg normally shoots his films in 1.85 to one i think jurassic park 
Schindler's List. All the films are 1.85 to 1, so should fill your entire widescreen TV. Uh, others, Other filmmakers prefer that ultra-wide look. I think George Lucas shot all the Star Wars films in 2.35 to 1, which is that added wide wide look. So that's why there's a black bar top and bottom to fit the bar, that ultra-wide picture in the middle of your screen. The other question I had, and I get this often, people who accidentally their phones are wiped and stuff happens and they want to get their photos back and, look, you know, I can't remember the password, so what do I do? Uh, well, you can't do anything. You've got to wipe the device. So if you could crack a phone without using the password, well, then what's the use of having a password? So a lot of them are usually very disappointed to hear that to actually use their device again, if they've forgotten the passcode or maybe their child changed the passcode and all their photos and videos are gone. And and good luck trying to retrieve them because uh, normally when you erase a, a phone to restore it, everything gets wiped, including your photos, including your videos, which is why it's very, very important to set up a backup to your photos. Like if you're an iPhone user and you're not using iCloud photos, you are mad because every photo you take is replicated in the cloud. So God forbid you lose your phone, it gets stolen, whatever happens then you've got a record of all your photos up in the cloud. So you get a new phone and boom, you can bring them all back down into the new phone. The other advantage of having uh, that as well is that you can save space on your phone. So you can view stuff from the cloud so you can clear up space on your phone. So you don't have to have all your photos on your phone. Have them up in the cloud and just look at the ones you want. You can look at them from the cloud. Uh, if you're a Google user, an Android user, if you don't have Google Photos uh, switch to online backup, then again, you're asking for trouble. Now, if this person had have had those in, in, that set up, then they would have happily wiped their phone to restore it to whatever they needed to do and then have all their photos back on the device in no time. So very, very important to back up your photos. Uh, we've written about that on Tech Guide uh, and the aspect ratio. One other thing about that, the uh, the gentleman who emailed me was talking about Foxtel. There is uh, in the settings, make sure you've got it on the right setting. So if you've got a, a widescreen TV, a 16 by 9, that, that is the setting rather than having a 4 by 3, which is the old square TV. Have your settings on 16 by 9. That'll affect how the movies look on the screen as well. You're listening to Tech Guide. That is the end of our show for this week. Well, we hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Everything we've talked about, of course, you can read at techguide.com.au. And we'd love for you to get in touch with us. Either hit the record button and leave us a voice bite so your question will be played on the show or... Send us an email, info at techguide.com.au. We want to give a special shout-out to our sponsors, Netgear, the brand you can trust for all your Wi-Fi needs, and Norton, the company that can keep you and your family safe online. Thank you once again for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week. So until then, stay safe and stay connected.